And uh, we started off slow, a couple of hundred people, nobody was that interested. By the time we did our second show, it was over a thousand people. On the last show, there was over 3,000 people. Everybody that was not essential was down there to, at the hangar deck. So then the last part of this is that I've done over 4,000 shows. I've been in Puerto Rico and, and New, in Mexico and almost every state. I've been all over the Caribbean and in Europe, as I said. And then I got interested in going back to my first reason that I got involved in hypnosis was hypnotherapy, helping people change their lives. Hello, everybody. My name is Jeremy Franchese. You are listening to First Floor Conversations, where the view at the top is only as good as the foundation which preserves it. Today on episode 37, we're joined by Dan LaRosa. Uh, for the last 40 years or so, Dan's been an entrepreneur, prim primarily doing hypnotherapy, uh, coaching group performances for clients across the world. Um, and so looking forward to diving in, learning more about mental health, cognitive abilities, and, and how we can create a better quality of life. Um, through hypnotherapy and some different strategies. Um, Dan, thanks so much for joining uh, and, uh, and welcome to the show. Um, okay, thank you, Jeremy. Yes. Before, before we dive in, I, I love to get our, our guests, our audience up to speed on um, our guests. So just a little background on yourself, kind of how you got into the space, um, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Well, everything was kind of uh, by accident, serendipitous, but still a very strange thing. I was a mental health worker back in the 70s. And I had a little band that I started with a friend of mine. We worked at a, a mental institution working with um, alcoholics and drug addicts. And that little band started to take off and it was called, and still is called, Coconuts Comedy Rocks. So we still perform. And we were doing a tour down in Virginia Beach and I saw a hypnotist down there. The year was 1980. And saw an ad in the paper. There was no video or internet or anything like that. And the, uh, the ad said, world's funniest hypnotist, one night only at such and such a place. And I said, holy cow, hypnotism. Because way back then, the perception for most of us was that uh, hypnotism was something that men could learn to get girls. They used to have these weird ads in the back of uh, comic books. Learn to be a hypnotist and show this guy towering over a woman. The implication was you'll have power. And hypnosis is anything but power. It may seem like it is. So I went and saw the show. And at the same time, in Virginia Beach, there's a place called the Association for Research and Enlightenment. And that is Edgar Casey's major work. It's his, um, it's, it used to be his home and office. And he was called America's Sleeping Prophet. And the reason that's important is because I was very young and impressionable, and he was all about possibilities. He would diagnose people by going into trance, never meeting them. And he would be accurately saying what, what the prognosis was, what should be done, and there's volumes of research. So I was very open to this. I saw this hypnotist, world's funniest hypnotist. I was blown away by what I saw. And then serendipitously, again, I found a, a trainer, a teacher from India. And this teacher, 1980, the population that were very, there were 
he was the first Indian person I ever met in my life. Um, people from Asia, from India, China, there, there really weren't that many allowed in this country. And I found him in a strange way. And uh, he became my mentor, and my teacher. And then my little band broke up for a while and one of the guys got married. And I said to a club that I was working at regularly, I was gonna be a hypnotist. I started working for this man in 1986. And until he closed his club, I worked there once a week, every Wednesday night doing comedy hypnosis. After that, I started going to colleges because the kids who were coming to see my show in, well, this was in, in the New London area, uh, some of them were in college and they asked me if I'd be interested in doing college shows. And I thought, that's college, hypnotists in college? That's very weird, but that's how it started. And then from there, these kids that were in college graduated, went into the corporate world. So they would invite me to do corporate shows. And then serendipitously, I was doing a show one time um, in Massachusetts and a fellow there asked me if I ever had traveled to Europe to perform. And I said, no, 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 no. I had been to California, I had a friend that brought me there. Never been to Europe. Would you like to come and perform? Oh yeah, sure, absolutely. I was very skeptical, I thought it was just somebody talking. But I got a call a few weeks later and he booked a number of shows. He was in charge of uh, morale, welfare and recreation, MWR for the Navy. And he hooked me up into a number of bases. So I did about 15 tours of Italy and Spain and visited a lot of different countries where I always did hypnosis. And the last part of that equation is that um, just about 13 years ago, I got hooked up doing shows for the United States Navy on aircraft carriers. So I would fly to Hawaii, board at Pearl Harbor on these, you know, like the USS Nimitz and sail across the Pacific Ocean. And I would do about four or five shows at various times of day and night. So different people off duty could see the show. And uh, we started off slow, a couple of hundred people, nobody was that interested. By the time we did our second show, it was over a thousand people. On the last show, there was over 3,000 people. Everybody that was not essential was down there to, at the hangar deck. So then the last part of this is that I've done over 4,000 shows. I've been in Puerto Rico and, and New, in Mexico, almost every state. I've been all over the Caribbean and in Europe, as I said. And then I got interested in going back to my first reason that I got involved in hypnosis was hypnotherapy, helping people change their lives. Because even when I was an entertainer, as a musician, I was very scared. And there were many nights I'd go out there and just panic, not a real full-blown panic attack, but close enough to be a hindrance. And so when I saw this hypnotist, I thought I'd like to learn how to do that for as an entertainer, but also to help myself and others. And primarily, I do shows. Of course, currently, there are no shows booked until the fall. And we'll see how that goes. It's... Uh... <laughs> And for those listening, like I've actually seen Dan perform. I, I met Dan probably a, 10 years ago, maybe. Um, and he, you were performing in my town. And so I've seen the, I mean, it's a hilarious show. Like it's fun. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's inclusive. So 
you know, I have friends that personally, like, I saw you hypnotize them. Like, the feeling of rubbing <laughs> their fingers together still makes yeah. them think of money, you know? And so, um, it's, it's to those listening, like, I've been in the audience for these shows. So, when he says 4,000 shows and Europe tours, and I'm not surprised the military really likes this because it's morale, it's yes. comedy, it's lighthearted, but there is a practical element to it. And, and mm-hmm. so... What we'll talk about today is is each of those facets, right? There's the group concept and the entertainment because there needs to be a vehicle to receive the the, the support, and comedy is an amazing vehicle to receive support. Um, but there is also practical elements of it, the one-on-one coaching where people are trying to get over fears. They're trying to get better public speaking or they're trying to stand up to that boss who they feel like they can't speak to. They're trying to have real changes in their life to improve quality of life. And so we'll try to tackle both of those. I'd love to take a question just to talk about, you know, what is hypnotherapy and how is it different from traditional forms of therapy where I would go see somebody for mental health, talk about how I'm feeling? How is it different than those traditional forms of, of mental help or mental health, excuse me? Well, to understand that, you have to understand how hypnosis works and what happens in hypnotism. I explain this with all my clients. We have a conscious mind. That's a small part of our mind. It's logical, willpower, judgment, decision-making. We all know that willpower is kind of a weak human power. It's considered to be like 10% of our mind power. But down below is the subconscious. And the subconscious is that part that runs our body, but also stores all our beliefs, our memories, our habits. It's also where imagination and autonomic nervous system are housed. So these are all functions that we're not aware of until we need to use them. So to prove to folks that the subconscious is below our level of awareness, I always start off, I ask them to finish this little ditty. I'll ask you to do the same thing. I'll say to you, roses are red, and you'll say... Violets are blue. Violets are blue. You probably hadn't thought about that for a long time, but it's in your subconscious mind. So are your beliefs. If you learned to be shy, or if you learned to respond in anxiety and fear when confronted with things, then that's always going to be your major program. So here's how hypnosis works. The the conscious mind also has a thing called critical faculty. If I said to a client, oh, don't worry, you're not going to be afraid anymore. Just go out and speak. You can do it. Their critical faculty says, yeah, right. My experience tells me, no, I can't go out there and do this. I'm afraid for whatever reason. If you take the critical faculty away, which is what we do in hypnosis, what becomes, uh, I, I tell folks that the conscious mind, that's critical faculty, is like a light bulb. Light bulb does a good job of scattering light so you can see different things. But the hypnotic mind or the hypnotized mind It's like a laser. It's highly focused, and it goes in on that one thing. And what is it that we want to change in hypnosis? Well, we want to change a belief. So my belief as a public speaker, I actually failed public speaking twice in in college. The irony. It's hard to believe now because I I speak to thousands of people every year. But back then, the only reason I, I graduated, I needed that class to graduate, the third time I took it, public speaking, the professor felt sorry for me and said, I don't know what it is, but 
you know, just I was so shy and I was so scared. I, I can I now know why that happened. I know why all of these things happened for many people. Somewhere in the past, there was an embarrassing moment. I know my own moment, and it was in second grade. I mispronounced a word. Everybody laughed. And the subconscious is a protective unit. It's survival. So if I perceive public speaking to be dangerous, the subconscious builds up a program that says, stay away, that's potentially dangerous. It doesn't see it any different than the proverbial saber-toothed tiger. Danger is danger. So how do you prevent someone from having danger in their life, from facing it? Well, create a panic attack, which is an overuse. The, the mind is working excellently to do what it's been programmed to do, but nobody wants to have a panic attack. So in hypnosis, the reason it works faster than traditional therapy is that therapy is dealing with all the causes, all the reasons. They're important, but they're not as important as the solution. First question I ask people is, what do you want the outcome to be? What do you want to focus on? What do you, how do you want to be different than when you are? So whatever the answer is, I, when I do a client intake, I ask questions that are not necessarily on the topic. I might ask about a hobby. What do you like? What places make you feel good? So a person may say, I love the beach. So that becomes weaved in to the suggestion. Your beach is a comfortable place. You feel great. Take that feeling and let's switch it over so that whenever you're in the public eye, you feel as calm as if you were sitting on your beach. So it's very rapid too. I, I don't see clients long-term. I have some that I've seen for years who come once every couple of months or something will come up. But for the most part, three or four sessions, stop smoking one session. Why is that? A smoker is highly motivated to stop. But the problem is they don't believe that they can, and there's three or four other things. For example, a cigarette smoker will take a cigarette, and it's like, oh, that relaxes me. The real reason they're relaxing, other than satisfying the nicotine addiction, is that they're actually breathing in deeper. It's like, and they're, they're breathing in 78% air and 12% and 22% smoke. But they feel that the cigarette smoke is what relaxes them. And that's exactly the opposite. So once folks understand this, once they have a big enough reason why, the how part is not so difficult. And that's what we do in hypnosis. That's really fascinating. The analogy from a, a light bulb to a, a, a laser beam makes a lot of sense. You're getting specific clarity on one specific thing, whereas traditional therapy, you're trying to look at the full scope, the relationships with people, your 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 day-to-day -day interactions through habits that have been built up for years, whereas this is, I want to correct this one thing, and I want to do it now. And, and so... There, that was you hit a question I was going to ask, which was to be effective. Do we need frequency? Do I need to see you every two weeks? You're saying no, and so um, that kind of leads me to to one thing we talked about on our, our pre-call when we were just touching base, um, and you started speaking about the because I, I, you started speaking about the four myths 
of hypnosis. Yes. And I want to take it there because um, let's be honest, and a lot of people listening and, and um, like nobody knows unless they have firsthand you know experiences like with a with a professional of your like yourself they don't know if, if hypnotherapy is bullshit if it's the most revolutionary thing they don't know because they're uninformed because it's not like there's information out there or excuse me there's there's so much information out there that it's hard to determine what's fact and what's fiction and so being somebody that's been in the room, I haven't been hypnotized, but I have seen it. Like you, my friends were the ones on stage. And just to, to give some insight to the people listening, like his, his formats, I'm sure as you grow into the thousands, like there's different styles of shows, but the nuts and bolts of what I saw was a partial performance, partial bringing people on stage and actually performing hypnotherapy. It's fun, it's lighthearted, it's really inclusive, it's safe. Like there's nothing that anybody has to worry about, but there is a, 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 a breakdown in the room of, is this real, is this not, is it? I'd love to break down, so, so Dan, what are the four myths of hypnosis? Well, you've heard the saying, knowledge is power, so, I tell folks that if knowledge is power, then ignorance is disempowering. It keeps you from doing something because of, of, these, of something that's holding you back. So the four myths, very simply, the first one is that a person might get stuck in hypnosis. I got hypnotized and I couldn't get, they couldn't get out of it. And that, that's impossible. In fact, I, I tell folks that it's so safe, you never hear about like, the National Enquirer never says the uh, kids were hypnotized in a show somewhere and they're still in trance. That's just an impossibility. The second myth is that a person becomes dependent on the hypnotist. I like to teach independence. If a client stays for four sessions or more, I teach them how to self-hypnotize. What well, affirmations, affirmations are very, very important in this field. I teach them how to use hypnosis for their own well-being. The third myth, I call Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Dr. Jekyll was the doctor, Mr. Hyde was the monster. Some people think, oh man, there might be a hidden part of me that comes out like, like Mr. Hyde, and I'll be a monster forever. And the fact is that hypnosis could not reveal such a thing. It would already be manifested and known. And then the, um, Let's see, did I mention the dependency on the hypnotist yet? That someone has to come, they, they, they don't. I think that's the last uh, one. Yeah, so the, you know, I, one of the things I say to folks too is that uh, hypnosis is, um, some people see it the same way that they do a root canal or a colonoscopy or some other medical procedure. This is going to hurt, it's gonna be dangerous, there's a downside. So I say to clients, what could be easier than simply closing your eyes, taking several deep breaths, and allowing yourself to relax your body, because that's the key. And the reason the body is the key to hypnosis is that our conscious mind, the small part of our thinking, our mind, is a thinking mind. We think in our mind, but the subconscious has six functions, memory, imagination, emotions, habit, energy level, and autonomic nervous system. So if you think about the autonomic nervous system, it runs all of our bodily functions. 
Suppose it's getting signals from emotions, imagination, habit, and memory that there's potential danger. So I don't know that anyone's ever died from speaking in public, but I have heard of entertainers dying on stage. I like to kid around with folks and say, I'm not afraid of dying because I've died many times on stage. If a performance isn't going well, it's like, oh my God, get me out of here. Very rare. But here's the point. Right now, people are, are in a high anxiety mode with what's going on with the coronavirus, COVID-19. And fear creates irrationality. Fear is a liar. I tell people it's an acronym, false evidence appearing real, pretty common uh, saying. So people start to feel this nervousness already. And when people are nervous, you know, think about this. A time when most people are paying strict attention, more so than ever, is if they're in danger. For example, they've had an accident, and the doctor says, here's what we have to do. That person is 100% focused in that moment. Well, the scatterbrain, that is the conscious mind, most of the time, we're listening, but we're thinking about, where's this going? What am I going to have for lunch? Is there... Are my teeth clean? And they're distracted. In the focused mind, the suggestion becomes very powerful, extremely powerful. The problem is that when a person is living out of their fear, they're living out of their body. You don't fear, you don't feel fear in your mind. That's a thought. You feel it as heart beating faster, breathing shallow, a stomach knot. And you probably have heard of the fight or flight mechanism. So when a person is in fear, they're in flight mode. And when they're feeling fear, they're paying strict attention. What are they paying attention to? Reality or their own thoughts? This is dangerous. A hundred people died in the world today from COVID-19. I'm as cautious as everyone else. That's important but I'm not gonna live in my head with the idea that there's a monster coming. We're being proactive, we're doing what we can. What makes it worse is if we start to worry, we create fear and anxiety and doubt, and then we're not operating from our highest level. We're operating from survival mode. It goes all the way back to our ancestors from the very first one. And if I could mention uh, talking about fear, we're, we're born with only two fears. We're, we're born with the fear of loud noises and the fear of falling, both survival mechanisms. A loud noise or any noise, a twig bends or breaks way back in the hunter-gatherer days. And what happens? Well, a person who is out there hunting for food, here's a twig, and that noise alerts them. There's something nearby. Is it my food, which I need to live, or am I its food? Do I have to fight or flight? And the other fear is falling. And then when people start to develop as infants, they develop other fears. And the third fear is abandonment. And the problem with abandonment is that it rules our lives almost all of the time. We are raised by parents, hopefully two loving, kind parents, 
that's not often the case, but they take care of us. And then there's a certain point where we begin to believe that they take care of us, but if we do something wrong, for example, if a child is walking near the top of stairs, the mother doesn't have time to say, honey, that's dangerous. The mother might yell. And there's that noise, fear. And all of a sudden, the person's on high alert. And the little child begins to process this thought. That is, if I don't do what she wants, I might be abandoned. They did a whole TV series. I never saw it even once, but I, I saw the little commercials. Survivor, off the island, abandonment. In fact, in most parts of the world, before there were jails, people were banished away from the village. So it's an ingrained fear. So bottom line is, with all the news today about the virus, people are very hyper. So instead of becoming proactive, well, many of them over proactive, they go out and hoard whatever things they can find. Toilet paper being one of them, and I, I don't get that, you know, I, I don't understand. Well, I do understand. They think they're being proactive. They think that if I have enough toilet paper, this shit will go away. I won't have a problem. Instead, they're at a high level of anxiety. So anything that comes along creates a reaction. And the reaction could be anything from anger to what am I going to do to protect myself? Survival, first and strongest instinct of humans. How do I survive? It's funny, when we, when we talked uh, last week, I think it was last week, uh -huh. you know, we, we had a bit, and I was sharing, it's like such an interesting time to be a contributing member of society, right? Because there is this level of um, being so overly desensitized in that we see death and tragedy so frequently because every the, the, there's no borders anymore. Everybody's a neighbor. I can see what's going on in China, Russia, you know, South Korea. Everything is borderless at this point. But on the other side, we're so overly sensitive because we live in this world of immediacy that everything is so instantaneous that it's this odd polarizing state of being where I kind of look at it like you're, you're, you know, if you're in a relationship and you're on your ride home and you kind of play out a conversation in your head and, and maybe it's an argument with your spouse or something and you're five exchanges in and you realize that this fake conversation in your head just changed you, your mood. Like now you are anxious or now you are sad or maybe you're actually worked up and angry, but it's the difference between, to your point, fear is, it's a, it starts with a thought and then it, it moves through your, your nervous system differently, meaning the heart beats faster, shallow breathing. There's other indicators that you're feeling what you're feeling, but it, it all stems back to what are we thinking about to produce those results? If you're five layers into a fake argument with your wife, but you're driving home from work, it's like, well, that's not real. Like, snap back, right? And so back to the, the miss and, 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 you know, you're not going to get stuck in a trance. You're not going to be dependent on your hypnos, you know, hypnotherapist. Um, you're not going to uncover these surprises about yourself where they're going to, you know, manipulate information out of you. Um, and I think there was one more that you mentioned. Um, stuck in hypnotherapy dependent on the hypnotherapist and you're not going to have something come out that's like a, a a hidden you know thing about you what was the last one that's a darn good question jeremy i'm gonna have to think about that for a second yeah you're good um, but I, either way either way i i, I did want to touch on 
the the it, you know you you kind of shared with me you're like I I think people are overly sensitive nowadays, right? Um, and I'd love for you to just unpack that a little bit and and really why do you feel people are overly sensitive and and really why is it hurting people? Well, for one thing, uh, exactly what we're doing now we're communicating. We're I don't even know where you are, but we're face to face on um, Zoom, I guess this is and and. Uh, so the internet brings in the, the internet brings us well a lot of things happen on the internet. Let's talk about one that's slightly different than where you might have been going. Think about all the young people or even older people who get to watch television and the internet, and they see all these wealthy people, or they see these people having fun. They see these entertainers who appear to be living such a happy life, and then they do a thing called comparison. Boy, their life is so great. I wish I had their money. They're, they're living this sweet life. Look at me. And so comparison begins to create a feeling. That feeling is called lack. There's no, not enough to go around. I, I can't scarcity be doing the things I want. So in hypnosis, what's happening with the fear factor is we see things that are happening in Italy and China. By the way, when things started out in China, for a lot of Americans, it was like, that's, that's their problem. When it started to get closer to home, as it is now, and even other countries like Italy and Spain and France and, and other people are starting to panic, what happens is we go into the protective mode. So our fear is for survival, but our irrational fear is for our downfall because we start to feel and and, and we, as i said before our body is our subconscious mind so take this example if we get a thought this is very dangerous bad things can happen well a thought is conscious but then it goes into the subconscious mind almost as a directive a command these are dangerous times so the six functions of the subconscious let's call them Six little people are little people, and they sit around. They don't have logical thinking. They're not judgmental. They don't make decisions. They make reaction. So a thought comes through. More people dying of the COVID virus. And the number may be very low, but in the mind, it appears to be an imminent danger. So I always say that fear is a liar because the only time it's appropriate is when you are in the presence of danger. And the way it works is we have a thought and the thought says danger. So when that signal goes to the subconscious, the autonomic nervous system says, we've got to get ready for a fight or a flight. What do we do? Memory says, well, in the past, our breathing gets shallow. We start to go into this mode where the only we don't digest food, if the fear is bad enough, a person will excrete. They'll avoid so they can be lighter and ready to fight. And then the subconscious mind, not knowing that the fear is only imagined, begins to create the circumstances in the body that confirm what the thought was. And now the person thinks, oh, I knew I was right. My heart is beating faster. So when I work with clients who have anxiety, for example, 
I always start off, they'll say, I, I, I have anxiety. And I always ask them a question. Did you bring it with you? Is it in your purse or pocket or did you leave it in the car or where is it? And what are you talking about? We well, said you have anxiety. I'd like, where is it? Is it visible? Is it in the room? Well, no. Well, where is it? Well, I guess it's in my mind. Oh. oh, that's a good thing. Because if it's in your mind, it was created. It was learned behavior. In hypnosis, we like to unlearn those things that are not productive. And anxiety, fear, weight loss, smoking, nail biting, all of those things are reactions to a time when a little child wasn't able to rationalize things. We don't have a fully conscious mind till we're eight years old. And so a little child develops stories. And then they go into the memory. And then in the future, we, 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 we couldn't possibly learn every experience ahead of time. So my girlfriend and I were in Puerto Rico a few years back. And we ran into a drug deal going bad. And somebody with a gun pointed that gun at us and then shot twice into the ground. It was a warning. I froze. I didn't know what to do. I'd never seen this. But fear came over me. And then I reacted. I was, we drove away. So my point to that is, if I think about that in the first few months afterwards, I'd begin to feel the same anxiety. And I thought to myself, how in the heck am I creating fear, but I'm home? So the thought, the mind, friend or slayer, on our side or not on our side, it doesn't matter to the subconscious, it does what it's programmed to do. Right, it's just a library of, of uniquely categorized responses. And whether we know when or how Actually, they... Reactions. Reactions, excuse me. About reactions. I just want to mention one thing about that. We all know about cause and effect. Well, cause and effect for us is actually a reaction. It's an unthought of response. It's uh, what we call an attitude. If I say a certain word, you might have a response, a reaction to it. And oftentimes that reaction is not, not what we want. So what I try to teach folks is that you need to take a moment to do a personal intervention. There's a problem. Normally I would react in anger, but the effect I want with my spouse, for example, is not to be at odds, but to be peaceful. How can I make this happen? So then you choose a response. There's cause, there's reaction. Choose the response, responsibility, to have the effect that you want. But unfortunately, much of the time, we're reacting to previous situations programmed in our mind before we have a chance to break that habit. And that's what I do with folks who want to stop smoking. You would reach for a cigarette, but you now have to make an intervention, and there's a pattern of how that's done. Anyway, hopefully I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's, that's uh, I think it's an important point. No, very important. You touched on a couple of things, uh, like the beliefs we're correcting, right? And I want to unpack that a little bit more. Um, mm -hmm. Things like nail biting, smoking. In your experience, um, what are the most common beliefs uh, or reactions 
that you're helping people correct? Well, uh, first one is that they're powerless. They believe most people, I don't know how to quit smoking because I've tried a hundred times, right? You've, you've tried a hundred times. There's the old story about Edison and the light bulb. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with it. You know, did you fail 10,000 times? No, I learned 10,000 things that don't work. So most people, it's a matter of trial and error. Does this work? No, that didn't work. And after a while, they begin to generalize. They go from a specific, it didn't work, to a generalization. Nothing will work. I just can't help myself. So I like to empower people. I really don't want to see people every week for years on end. That's ridiculous. We want to hone in on what the issue is. And it first starts with the belief that any belief can be changed. It can be altered. I think it's uh, Maya Angelou who said that when I know better, I do better. And if I understand a situation and understand what I'm not doing correctly, what can I do? And that's what we that's what I focus on. Where do you want to be? I don't care where you came from. People will start to tell me these stories. And I usually say to them, you know, you need to tell your stories to your therapist. Well, why is that? Because your story is your bullshit excuse for why you're stuck. You don't understand my problem, my mother this, or my father that, or, or I was picked on. I, well, are we talking about now or the past? It was yet to happen, but it still happens. Because you've developed a pattern, a habit of response and reaction. We want to change that around. And the way we change it around is with knowledge, first of all. And then in trance, what happens is the person's fighting back is diminished. So as long as what they're hearing is not against their moral principles, it may be against their current beliefs. An example of that that happened in the stage, I remember uh, doing an introduction where I said, no one will do anything against their moral principles. So a lady came up after the show, she said, well, you said no one would do anything against their moral principles. And my husband was out there dancing the hula or doing whatever he was doing. And he, he hates dancing. He never dances. Well, the key there is moral principles. He's not opposed to it. He's personally not interested. So when we took away the inhibition and I said to him, you're the world's greatest ballet star, there was nothing morally wrong with dancing. His beliefs used to tell him, I'll never do this. But remember, the critical faculty, the ability to resist the suggestion goes away. And he became a star of the show. And interestingly enough, I remember it well, there was a real celebrity in the audience that night. His name was Howie Mandel. And after the show, I met him. We spent hours together. I went to see his show the next night in New York City. And I didn't realize at that time that he had OCD, an obsessive compulsive disorder. We all know he won't shake hands. He's always washing his hands. Now, let's all listen to Howie a little bit. Wash those damn hands. But back then, if he had said to me, I have this problem, I might have been able to save him years of uncomfortable social distancing, whatever you want to call it, and his own personal obsession that if I don't wash my hands, 
And why does his mind do that? Again, the fear factor is survival. If I don't wash my hands, I'm going to die. It's all a connection. The question is, can we find the root cause of it and break the pattern? And to your point, traditional therapy is an ongoing evaluation and course correction of our mental and emotional beliefs. And where yours is, that's all, that's all well and good, but are we ready to make a change today? Because I don't need all that other bullshit to get to the root of, you want to be able to speak confidently on stage, you feel powerless because last time you got yelled at or booed off stage. Let's get to that point, harness that exact emotion and switch the, you know, turn the switch. And so um, when, and, and just for, for people listening, like when he says that like gentleman like flipped the switch and became a ballet dancer, like at the show I was at, that, like that happened. Like legitimately, somebody went from being, you know, co- cognitively aware, just like you and I talking, to in trance. Where, like, and I want to talk a little bit about the state of trance because there's that gray area where I think people can't, uh, they don't know exactly what that means. And so I want to unpack that in a second. Um, but you provided a, a command to, and to your point, against you know, some of these moral ethical, you know, code, you're not going to tell somebody to be like, Jeremy, you're, you're hypnotized now, you're in trance, you know, go assault all these people. Like, I would never go do that. It's against my moral fabric. It's against my, my ethical blueprint. Like, I wouldn't do that. I'm not a criminal, right? But right. to your point, if you turn the switch and say, you're now the best dancer in the world, it's a confidence thing. It's, oh, I, I guess now I'm, I'm, I'm a professional dancer. You may not be interested in it if you were out, you know, with, you know at a bar or, or, you know, at a club or something like that. But it's a confidence thing. I guess I can do this now. Now let's do it. And so it's not against it. It's an interest thing. But I'd, I'd love to – so it was just – when you said that, it made me think about – like I remember my friend like prancing around an auditorium of like 250 people or whatever it was. And, uh, and legitimately dancing around and like they, you know, it was just hilarious. But at the same time, clearly effective in, in, in any way. Dan, I want to I touch on what trance is and what, you know, what, and kind of from both sides. Like if I'm looking at somebody, can I tell that they're hypnotized? On the other side, do they know they're hypnotized? Can you just break down that state of, of being for us a little bit? I, I, I will. I, I wanted to hitchhike on one little thing. It, it's, it's what happens when someone becomes a dancer is because temporarily their belief system has been changed. They identify as a non-dancer, so they don't act out of accordance with their subconscious. And, and that's the reason why habit change doesn't work so well. If a person comes in a smoker and we don't change that fundamental identification, self-image, they will leave and, and sooner or later become a smoker again they never stopped because the image keeps going toward that so we change the image we change the belief trance is a state of mind it's not sleep and it's not awaking it's somewhere in between and it is basically a unique state of mind physically a person can be very limp and loose i demonstrate that with a hand test that uh, yeah you hold them up and it immediately drops a person's arms in trance it's completely immediately drops and they um do people know that they're hypnotized uh that's the number one thing that people will say in my office i don't think i was hypnotized i heard every word you said well that's a good thing because why would you pay someone to not hear what they're offering you and the, the, the key test 
there's two ways that we can sort of demonstrate trance. Trance is a unique state. It's a state of mind that is highly receptive and actually I'm probably describing hypnosis more than trance itself, but for our purposes, it's a, high, it's, it's a state of mind which a person is highly receptive to wanted suggestions that immediately get acted upon. That's how I know that the suggestion worked. If I say to someone, well, you're a fresh air breather, and they light up a cigarette 10 minutes later, then it didn't work. So there's a thing called resistance or inhibition on response. Something blocked that from happening. Now, there's only two reasons. They weren't really in trance, or there's a stronger belief that is overriding the current new belief. So the only time that I would go back into a person's history is if they had a immediately successful response, but then reverted. So an example is a woman who was a, a public speaker, wanted to be, and she retired from her lifelong work and was interested in this business where she had to do home demonstrations. It was in the crafts field, let's say. So the first time she went to speak to a group of about 12 people with her district manager there, she had a panic attack or a fear. And the next day she called and the fear was public speaking. And she did very well for about six or eight months. And then we got a call that she was at a demonstration and had a real panic attack. She told everybody she was ill and had to leave and she left. So I said, okay, now we need to go back and find out why the underlying belief is stronger than the new self-image. Turned out that when she was in second grade, she was belittled by a teacher for not being able to answer a simple question. And the teacher said, well, you're stupid. And so this little girl cried and that's all she thought about, I'm stupid. And subconscious then begins to develop a pattern that says, well, you know, there's an old saying, it's better to keep your mouth shut and be thought to be stupid than to open it and remove all doubt. So if we go with that premise, her subconscious mind protected her from speaking, how? If your heart is beating fast and you're in the middle of a panic attack or even high anxiety, you want to get away from that. And the subconscious paralyzes you from acting. So once she understood that that teacher was a very bad teacher and it wasn't her fault, we were able to change that behavior. And that was several years because she changed that belief that created her self-image that kept her from being who she wanted to be. Right. It's all, it's all belief. It's all based on it's the belief. belief. And that, and so, um, so when you're in trance, you can hear every word that's being said. You're, mm -hmm. you're cognitively aware of what's going on. Um, you're just, your subconscious is more open to new perspectives. And it, it seems you kind of pull down the firewall of our, our, our cognitive state, if that makes yes. sense. Um, you touched on, uh, when we originally connected, 
you know, for depression and anxiety, you educate, whereas for sadness, worry, and, you know, uh, uh, you know, that type of a, a challenge, you know, you can solve it with root cause. Um, mm -hmm. Mental health has never been more um, active in our society um, from even the political sphere of what's what's going on, how are we improving the, the you know, social mm -hmm. construct through people just being aware, you know, like I think a lot of it is an awareness thing. We're more aware because of our access to resources that, oh, maybe I can, right. maybe I can DIY this. Maybe I can search for something, apply it and, and become happier or reduce how much I feel anxiety. So we try to hack at it for ourselves. But to your point, they're all not created equal. Depression, anxiety, worry, sadness, they're not all under this one big, you know, they're the same thing, fix them all the same way. They may take a different approach. Can you just expand a bit on how depression and anxiety, um, you, you focus more on educating people and, and from a sadness and worry perspective, it's it's more about let's get to the root and solve it. And, if, if, and maybe if my notes are incorrect, you can feel free to polish them up and, and provide some clarity for me. Well, well, first of all, because I'm not a licensed therapist, I'm not supposed to treat depression or anxiety. Got it. So I changed those words into uh, sadness and worry, okay? But what the people, first of all, when I see clients, they'll come for one particular reason. But if they feel comfortable, within a few minutes, they'll say, well, I really suffer this or that. And that's okay. They want to test to make sure that I'm going to be compassionate and caring and maybe effective, but they're all on the same scale. My thoughts about depression, for years, depression and anxiety were treated separately as two different kinds of things. But now, even traditional therapists are treating them in the same way. And it's mostly with cognitive behavioral therapy, thinking it out, thinking about the reality of situations. Is this real? Is it true? So what we're doing in hypnosis is we, again, look for the outcome. I create a visualization. One of the, my favorite kind of go-to methods is imagine that you're in a forest and you're walking a path that's comfortable. I have some music that has birds in the background, gentle kind of, you know, white noise and sounds you might hear the birds. And if they actually hear it physically, it's like, oh yeah, I do hear it. And in some ways that helps to deepen trance. But the important thing is they go to a place through this forest that's their safe place. And it could be a beach or a mountain we determine ahead of time. And we create a feeling. So the feeling is of calmness, let's say, or, or confidence or happiness or joy, whatever it is, I label that feeling, we label it. Um, I had a woman that was afraid of flying and her friends said, we're not coming back to Connecticut for our reunion. You're gonna come to California. So she actually did, we had one session, but when she came, she also began to talk about the fact that she was turning 50, which is a, milestone for many people, maybe perhaps women in particular. And she had other issues and things. So I remember kind of weaving the story and I called her an, an Amazon woman. 
a warrior woman, a peaceful Amazon, amazing woman. Yes, I said, you are an amazing woman. And that's your new mantra. I am amazing. So mantras and affirmations are one of the ways that I help people. And particularly in her case, she began to see herself in a new light. 50 is not the dreaded age that I thought it was. It's the beginning of a new adventure, one in which I will fully participate. So she went to California, came back, was thrilled with the flight, and actually took her children to Disney World for the first time. Now, the amazing thing that happened with her is that she began to change her beliefs about herself, her self-image. So she ended up making major changes in her life that she always had wanted to, one of which was her new career, another of which was she had an abusive husband. She finally had the courage to leave him. But she also felt guilty about it, even though he, even though she was a victim. Victims often, they volunteer for the position. They don't stand up for themselves. They don't set boundaries. So sometime later, she called back and said that she'd been going to these uh, singles dances. And she was a quality lady, a woman who image kept her down, but her new image was bringing her up. Except for one thing, because of her guilt and anger and fears and all the things that were troubling her regarding the breakup of her marriage, the kind of men she was attracting were bottom feeders. Oops. And she was meeting folks who were low level. So again, she took it personally in the sense that there must be something wrong with me. And what we did there is we talked about vibrational output. We have this, these frequencies, vibration. You know, if you take a piano tuning device. A fork? Yeah, the, the tuning fork. A tuning fork, yes. I, <laughs> I was giving it an erudite name. If you take a tuning fork and, 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 and tap it, A440, it vibrates 440 times per second, I guess. You take another one and put it nearby and don't touch it it begins to vibrate at the same frequency because of the energy. Well, humans are the same way. I know you've walked into a room where most people have, what's wrong? Because you can sense the vibration. I know that people also go to places where they just feel in the flow because they're meeting with people who are in their sort of vibrational um, frequency. So what we did for the second session, and the only time, I saw it twice, the second time was change her self-esteem and particularly her self-image. Power words. You're capable, you're powerful, you're amazing, you're intelligent, you're beautiful. Beauty is a very funny thing. It's a subjective thing. But so is confidence and so is everything else. It's how you feel. It doesn't necessarily have to be real. And again, how do people feel? You think in your, sub in your conscious mind, your subconscious expresses itself in your body. So if you're walking in, you feel great. I remember when I was a kid, James Bond was first out in the films. And there was an article in one of the, in a kind of men's magazine that was called uh, True Man or something like that, how to be a, uh, a real man, whatever. And I was like 14 and I read this article. How would Bond 
approach going into a club, a bar at that time. And people used to dress up in suits and ties more often. Well, he would never walk in and adjust his tie. That's a sign of lack of confidence. He would walk in, he would look around the room before he made his entrance, as if choosing exactly where he wanted to be, which is what he did. And there were all these other things, I forgot most of them, but it was an image that he was projecting. Many of us project the wrong self-image because we're in our heads, and we're thinking about our failures, and our mind wants to survive us, so it begins to project shyness or overcockiness, aggressiveness, all kinds of behaviors that aren't the true person. So that's how we broke it down for this lady. Your true essence is purity. And we come here, tabla, rasa, blank mind. Everything that's in there had to be filled in there. It wasn't, it was taught. People who have abundance issues. What do you think, money grows on trees? We don't have enough money to go out and spend it frivolously. Oh, you ruined that sweater. I paid good money for that sweater. So this is a little child who's constantly hearing the message from folks who perhaps had their own flaws. They did the best they could. But then if you change the beliefs, you change the outcome. It's like an operating system on a computer. If you download your operating system on some other person, you have to rewire the operating system or it's going to operate with the same commands. If a person gets a virus in their computer, they don't throw away the hardware, they get rid of the virus. For us, a virus is faulty thinking, it's flawed. Who says you can't be the magnificence that you deserve to be? Who says? Well, somebody else told you that and you believed it. That's why I think in the song, uh, Rainbow Connection, uh, I, I don't remember the lyrics right now, but I used to listen to that song quite a bit because somebody told you and you believed it. Right, it's, it, I, it's, it's so fascinating. I wanna end on, on, uh, on one thing and just seeing that hour flew by, but that's a good thing and uh, in, in that it's been, uh, I've had a lot of fun and, and I wanna to touch on, you know, look, whether, from a, a medical perspective, when we're trying to find the proper diagnosis for an injury, let's say, it's not uncommon to need a couple different types of exams, an x-ray, an MRI, uh, and, and maybe seeing a specialist, a different doctor. The point is, from a practicing perspective, it takes different at-bats and different strategies and approaches to sometimes find the right solution. And so where there are, um, I mean, there's a ton of emerging different uh, options for mental health therapy and, and different resources, um, and hypnotherapy has been around quite a while. And, and now that I've learned a little more intimately what it is and how it actually operates within the brain, I can understand the, uh, the, the, how viable it really is. Now, but I'm curious how, uh, what trends you've seen where, like, why does hypnotherapy not work? Why is it not effective in your experience for, for people? Well, for several reasons. Number one, their expectations weren't met. They want to do something in particular, but we didn't tap or talk about the right thing. Yeah, I mentioned tapping. That, that's a new technique, new technique called the emotional freedom technique, or EFT. And when I work with someone using EFT, 
often before I do trance, what happens is we find out what the issue is. If we tap on the right thing, we change their belief. I was a huge skeptic of this until it worked for me. And I had an issue of fear. Background is that some 12 years ago, I actually, uh, wow, 13 years ago, my wife passed away suddenly. And when she died, I just did a, a nosedive. It was incredible. It was, it was unexpected. She had a heart attack, undiagnosed heart disease. And so my whole world tumbled. Now, my philosophy as an entertainer is that whatever's happening in my life is not going to change my personality on stage. I have a certain image that I go out with. I learned it in my band. My stage name in the band is Joe Beats. So Dan LaRosa could be having a crappy day, but Joe Beats is an entertainer. People pay to see and be entertained. So I'm not going to bring my problems. But when she passed, after a couple of months, I started going back to work. I just couldn't get over. And there were things that were wrong. So I went to traditional therapy for grief management. And at the end of our grief management sessions and whatever therapy we went through, we ended, and yet there was something bothering me. So I went to a friend, a fellow hypnotist. I said, I am not creating an atmosphere in stage that's conducive to what I used to do, that it's different. I, I'm having troubles. I cannot pinpoint it. So. We did the thing called hypnoanalysis. She put me into trance. Actually, all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. So she guided me into trance. And then we began to analyze. There's certain techniques for that. And they bypassed the critical mind. So I'm not making the bullshit stories of, oh, the reason that is is because that's my story. Subconscious may have a different reason. When we hit that different reason, uh, we, there's a number of ways that we do a pendulum and finger movements and, and, and unconscious uh, signals. So it came to the point that I was afraid. Now, remember, I had failed public speaking because of fear. And then I developed a real courage, uh, confidence. My take on confidence is that it has nothing to do with what you have or anything to do with who's in your life how much money you have, what kind of car you drive. It's, uh, that's false confidence. That could be lost. Real confidence comes from trusting yourself. So when my, when my friend hypnotized me and learned that it was fear, I said, oh, how do I overcome this? So I actually wrote a whole book on it. I started doing the research. It's unpublished, but I presented to hypnotists in conference and uh, conventions. and I use it to help people overcome fear. That's the big thing. What keeps you from quitting smoking? I'm afraid that my new life without cigarettes will be. What keeps you from losing weight? I'm afraid that I may not be able to. I'm afraid that if I lose weight, people might be attracted to me and I, I can't handle the sexual content of that. Why aren't you wealthy? I'm afraid that wealth is for other people. Whatever the reason is, it generally boils down to an, an, an unreal fear. So I started working on fear, and all of a sudden, 
I began to gain my confidence, real confidence, I became myself again. The Japanese have a saying that the only time we feel stressed is when we're pretending to be somebody else. If we're authentic and we bring ourselves to the table, they may like us, they may not. Little side note, Don Miguel Ruiz wrote a book called The Four Agreements. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's a wonderful book. And I don't know what the other agreements are. They're so simple, like, you know, always do your best. Okay, that's an agreement. I forget the others. I only focus on one. Agreement number two, don't take anything personally. It's not about you. It's about their reaction. If you don't take it personally, you again, you become authentic because you're not questioning yourself. Your confidence is based on those two words, trust yourself. You may not have the answer right now, our lack of confidence in this current COVID environment is we don't trust our intuition. We don't trust our knowledge. It's all so new, creates a fear factor. It's a petri dish of fear. And when fear happens, we begin to think irrationally, doubt, doubt leads to inaction. We don't know what to do, but trust yourself. You've had similar incidences. And when we begin to think clearly, we begin to see a path. There's, I used to work with alcoholic and drug addicts and we always got to their bottom line. They had a moment of clarity. I can't go any further because the next step is death. That little clarity of thinking rationally allows them to say, okay, I don't know what to do, but I know what I want to do. I'll figure out how as I go along. That's what we need to do today. We may not know what to do exactly. We're all learning different things, but we know why we want to do it. We'll figure out how as we go along. And it helps when we have good people like yourself that can help us find clarity in, in other parts of our uh, our thinking and, and ways we can operate. Because let's be honest, everybody goes about things a little bit differently based on our experiences. And if we can find different ways to be more competitive, more compassionate, more thoughtful, more balanced more control we'll have a better outcome and so um dan thanks so much for for taking some time for everybody listening um i'll put all the information for dan and uh, his website and social um when i upload um obviously with with covid19 um the shows and everything are, are obviously you know postponed until further notice so i'll plug everything but um i've been to the show they're hilarious i don't know when things will be back up and running it's a mix of comedy there's a level of practicality behind it and obviously the the coaching business that you you run um alongside the entertainment for more you know functional is um is that there is that do you try to be are you in person with most of the hypnotherapy do you do any virtual with clients in in other parts of the the country or, or how, how's that structure well, <laughs> uh interestingly enough the two 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 parts of that i i taught a person how to be a hypnotherapist and uh she's a, a coach a, a woman's coach and she's no i'm not going to see people personally i'm going to do it online and a year ago when i was working with her i thought I don't know about that. I like the personal feeling because of the vibrations. But then I had a client, a long-term client who became quite ill and uh, she has Parkinson's and she goes through a myriad of other issues. So it's impossible for her to come to me and I can't go to her. So 
we do phone sessions. She doesn't have a computer. So she puts the phone on speaker and we do trance. It's marvelous. And I three or four times a week, no more than five minutes at a time because when a person has been hypnotized one time, they can go into it even quicker every subsequent time. So I call up, I say, close your eyes. You know what that means. Relax your thoughts, your mind, and your body. And prior to that, I would ask her where her particular issues were because there are specific physical ailments that she receives or has every day. So when we do our session, it's always about sleeping better. It's always about taking away anxiety ailing you. So the answer to your question is, I'm going to call my friend who got me hooked up on the idea that we can do this online. And I'm going to start doing sessions, but I'm also going to do free ones. I'm not sure if it's Facebook or Zoom. I'll get the technology. I'm a little on the old side, so I may not know all the stuff, but it will come back to me or I'll learn it and I'll have friends who will teach me what to do. And that's, yes, I will be online that's for a, that. No, it's awesome. It's a, if you need help, I can, I can, I can certainly help. <laughs> um, but uh, guys, thank you so much. Um, this was uh, episode 37 of First Floor Conversations. Dan LaRosa, um, entrepreneur, comedian, entertainer, um, as well as a, a hypnotherapist. Uh, thank you so much for your time and the insights. Um, guys, our, our thesis here is really, really simple. Um, the view at the top is only as good as the foundation which preserves it and at the root of everything we are built off of our beliefs uh, and and if we can build a better belief system and and rewire how we perceive ourselves we have a greater chance of being uh, a happier person more fulfilled a better contributing member of society and so if we can train that tool we're more equipped to be effective and so thank you so much for joining thank you dan and uh stay tuned for more everybody